Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rob Scheinberg, Rabbi of United Synagogue of Hoboken, and today we are studying Masachet Sukkah Daf Nun, Sukkah page 50 A and B. On this page, we conclude chapter 4 of Masachet Sukkah with a discussion of water purity practices and water safety practices in the temple and in ancient Israel generally. And then we begin chapter 5 of Masachet Sukkah, beginning the discussion of the Simchat Beit HaShoevah, the water drawing festival. Along the way, we'll learn about the rabbi's thoughts about music and the balance between vocal and instrumental music. We will also be introduced to an unusual musical instrument, the Abuva de Moshe, Moses' flute. We're finishing up the Mishnah from the previous page. The water libation practice on Shabbat was identical to the practice on weekdays of Sukkot. This is for those authorities who felt that water libations were done on Sukkot. Except that on Fridays, a non-sanctified golden vessel was filled with water from the Shiloach, from the spring of water, and left in the Lishka, in the temple court, so that they would not do the actual water drawing on Shabbat. If the water spilled or it was uncovered, the Kohen would fill it from the Kior, the laver in the temple itself, rather than from the Shiloh spring, because water and wine that have been left uncovered are unfit for the altar. Now this last detail is a reference to the prohibition of Mayim Migulim, uncovered water. The Talmud in several places expresses a powerful concern that drinking water or other liquids that has been left uncovered is prohibited because it's a health consideration. A snake or another venomous creature might have drunk from the water and, while drinking, deposited some venom in it. Therefore, water or other liquid that is to be drunk must either be covered or carefully guarded to make sure that no snakes or other creatures have come to it. So, if the water for use for Nisu Hamayim had been left uncovered, it should not be used. The Gemara then asks the question, why does the Mishnah instruct that the uncovered liquid should not be used? And why not simply instruct that this uncovered water be passed through a strainer? It's then suggested that this Mishnah must not be in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Nehemiah, who held that passing uncovered liquid through a strainer or a filter would be enough to mitigate the danger of the possible snake venom in the water. Because, he says... Snake venom is like a sponge that floats on the surface of the liquid. It doesn't mix in with the rest of the water. So if a contaminated liquid were to be passed through a strainer or a filter, the venom would be removed. I do not have the scientific understanding to know if this is in fact the case or not. But our Mishnah does not instruct straining the uncovered water or filtering it. It instructs using completely different water. So the Gemara and the chapter conclude with an alternative answer. Even if you assume that this Mishnah is in accordance with Rabbi Nechemia, the Mishnah 
might instruct to obtain new water because Rabbi Nehemiah's strainer solution is okay for an average person, but it's not okay legavoha, not for heavenly purposes like water to be poured on the altar. But lately, the Rabbi Nehemiah and wouldn't Rabbi Nehemiah consider a passage from the book of Malachi that asks the question, if a king were presented with various kinds of flawed and blemished gifts, would the king be likely to accept them? And the implication is no. In other words, we have higher standards for what is going to be offered to God. Incidentally, Mayim Megulim, uncovered water, remains a somewhat controversial halachic topic even today. Some authorities over the centuries, such as Moses Maimonides in 12th century Egypt, instructed that the prohibition on drinking uncovered water was still in force in his time. But other authorities, like the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Joseph Karo in 16th century Israel, say we no longer need to be concerned about this, as it is a somewhat far-fetched danger. Snakes and other venomous creatures are rare enough in settled areas that if you don't have reason to believe that one of them is in the area, you don't have to presume that it might have deposited venom in your liquids. However, even today, there are Jews who will be fastidious about not using wine for ritual purposes like Kiddush, if it has been left uncovered. Because like our Gemara, they make a distinction between what is okay for everyday usage and what is appropriate for the circumstances of special sanctity and ritual. And this is how chapter 4 of Masechet Sukkah concludes. And now we begin the next chapter, chapter 5, Hechalil, the flute. Hechalil chamisha b'shisha. Zehu chalil shabet et hashabat v'lo et yom tov. Flute playing happens on either five or six days of Sukkot. This is depending on the configuration of the days of Sukkot and which days end up being Shabbat. What's being referred to here is the Chalil of Beit HaShoeva, the flute playing associated with the water-drawing place, which supersedes neither Shabbat or Yom Tov. Now, considering that Sukkot lasts for seven days, with the first day being a Yom Tov, there are two possibilities of how the holiday of Sukkot can fall out on the weekly calendar. Either the first day of Sukkot can be a Shabbat, in which case there are six remaining days of Sukkot that are not Yom Tov and not Shabbat, or the first day of Sukkot can be a non-Shabbat day, in which case the remaining days of Sukkot include one Shabbat and they include five non-Shabbat days. So there are either five or six days of Sukkot which are neither Shabbat or Yom Tov, when the flute would be played, depending on the configuration of the days of Sukkot during the week. Now in the Gemara, we encounter a dispute. One rabbi, Rabbi Yosei Bar Yehuda, says that the use of the flute supersedes Shabbat. The other sages say it does not even supersede Yom Tov. But it is clarified that that dispute is not about the Simchat Beit HaShoeva, but rather it's about the use of musical instruments to accompany some festival sacrifices and to accompany the Hallel Psalms on festivals. There's a disagreement whether that use of musical instruments supersedes Shabbat or Yom Tov. There is a consensus, though, that the use of musical instruments for Simchat Beit HaShoeva is simply a way to arouse additional celebration. It's not a required act, and therefore it does not supersede Shabbat or Yom Tov. It appears that the dispute about the use of the flute on other festivals hinges on the question, what is the most important component of the commandment to engage in song on festivals? 
Rabbi Yossi says, Ikar Shira Bikli. The mitzvah of song is accomplished primarily through the use of musical instruments. Thus, the use of these musical instruments qualifies as avodah, its mandated divine service, and therefore appropriate even for it to supersede Shabbat in the same way that other avodah, other divine service activities in the temple would supersede Shabbat, even if they were things that would normally not be done on Shabbat, such as, for example, slaughtering animals. And the sages say, Ikar shira bepeh, the mitzvah of song is accomplished primarily through one's mouth and one's voice. And the use of musical instruments can be enhancing to this, but is not the core component of the mitzvah. Therefore, it does not qualify as avodah and would not supersede Shabbat or even Yom Tov. Now, this dispute may echo similar questions today in the Jewish and general world. Does purely vocal music really qualify as music in the best sense of the word? Or, when we hear purely vocal a cappella music, do we feel that some important element is missing from it because it does not use musical instruments? Well, incidentally, as myself being the director of an a cappella choir, I have some strong feelings about this question. What brought into this dispute later on on our page is the Abuvad de Moshe, the Moses flute. This is a wooden flute that was used in the temple that according to tradition dated back to the time of Moses. That it was a wooden flute becomes relevant because most of the other temple implements were not usually made of wood. The possibility is raised that if flute playing were considered to be an avodah, a mandated act in the temple, then that would imply that mandated temple implements could be made of wood. But our page then raises various reasons why we should not make such an assumption. Maybe the flute is made out of wood, not because it's okay for temple implements to be made out of wood, but simply because a flute made out of wood will sound better than a flute made out of something else. Our page is yet one more reminder of the indispensability of music in the spiritual life of a community, whether that music is instrumental or vocal or both, and dating back to the earliest years of the Jewish people. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.